Hello, and thank you for listening to the Nothing Sounds cast. I am your occasionally intrepid host, Tyler Hannon, and with me today is... No one. No one is here with me today. Kyle is off in Ireland, fighting off evil android robots trying to destroy the world and create weird hybrids of humanity and androids. It's very complicated. But in his absence... I have recorded an interview with Tyler Onderry of Portals. Tyler is the creative director over there, and we here at Nothing Sounds Better are huge fans of the work they do and have been for years. You can find all that work at portalsmusic.com. We go on for a while about a number of different things, South by Southwest, uh, the changing field of music blogging and how we all discover the things that we like and how we share those things and we go on for a while but uh thanks again for listening and you can find all of our work at nothingsoundsbetter.com as always and we're actually on itunes so if you want to give us a like or a review that'd be cool happy listening I first met you. We actually hadn't talked before South by Southwest, and that's where we first mm-hmm. met. So I kind of wanted to talk about mm-hmm. that a bit because that sure. was the first thing like on that level I've been to, and the Portal Showcase was definitely the high point. I wasn't oh, able wow. to I wasn't able to stay for the whole thing, but it was just like mm-hmm. such a positive and good experience. I just wanted to talk to. I just wanted to ask you about uh, how it was for you that whole uh, the whole showcase and how you think it went. Yeah. Um... I thought it was great. It was a really, really beautiful and like personal experience. Um, <clears throat> the work leading up to that show, um, it's definitely pretty damn stressful. This was uh, Portal's fourth year doing a South by Southwest production, um, and each year we try to do it in a location that's kind of removed from the the general Sixth Street and downtown. Area area just to kind of provide people with an escape from from all that noise and have an environment that is mostly focused on like audience engagement and the actual music itself and not you know corporate sponsors or or alcohol or whatever um so it i was really proud because yeah it was our fourth year and it was definitely like the the biggest production we had done at south by and um the most bands we had ever had on one lineup um the rain was obviously like a bit stressful. Like that whole week we were praying to the rain gods that it wouldn't rain. I was like getting really into like checking like detailed weather reports because <laughs> I, I was like so nervous about the rain and just destroying everything since we were doing it on, on this farm. Um, and we were able to get about three sets outside and then it started raining and we had to quickly bring everything inside. But honestly, the rain ended up bringing the show together in this really cool and unique way that I don't think anyone was expecting. It was kind of like, yeah, we're in the rain, we're here, but 
we have a whole day and night of amazing music and nobody's got any place to go unless you're trying to go back down to the downtown craziness. And so it ended up bringing everybody together and it was just such a, such a positive experience. Um, so yeah, I, overall I'm, I'm so stoked on it and I, it's, it's a little overwhelming to think about doing it again next year, but I'm already so excited to see what that's going to look like. So. Well, and you guys handled the, like, it went so it, I thought it went off so well, especially considering it started downpouring partway through. Even just hanging out on the porch with everybody, right, right. between as uh, I can't remember who was playing. I think it might have been Phantom Posse. Yeah, it was Phantom Posse. But there, there are like a couple people out there trying to like, like struggle through, like sticking through the set, even as they're standing in the rain, and everybody on the porch is still having fun as they're running for pizza and stuff. And then it turns yeah. into a house show halfway through the halfway through exactly. the day. Yeah, yeah, which was great because then, you know, we ended up getting like kind of two different environments and, and that house is kind of a quirky, you know, quirky hipster house with a bunch of different people. And so the living room was super cool, you know, had like paintings everywhere and just weird knickknacks and things. And so it ended up being really good for the photos as well. Like we had kind of two different environments. Um, yeah, it totally, it totally ended up working. So fuck the rain <laughs> we 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 made we made it through uh, yeah and um and especially as it was going on i mean part of the thing with portals as like i'm more of an outsider with all like these small music scenes because I'm, I'm up in michigan where there's not as much of these things going on and like not even sure. in the middle of detroit so like all these bands that we kind of like everybody like we love like there's a small but passionate community of online Mm-hmm. South by Southwest seems to present, and I suppose any festival, but this was my first experience with it, seems right. present a place where all those people can come together. And so you have this show where, like, you haven't met most of these people, or if you have, you, they're in different parts of the country. But then, right. like, Caro Caro Bonito comes on or something, and the whole room is just shaking, and you're surrounded yeah, yeah. by all these people who are so passionate about this band. Totally, totally. Yeah, and I think it's, um, it's... There's South by Southwest is kind of a complicated subject because it's been going on for so long and its original intention has obviously changed. Um, like any festival though, I mean, like most festivals, once they reach a certain audience or visibility, you know, they have to turn to corporate sponsors or, or bigger artists. And so South by has definitely took a lot of criticism um, for being a festival that was originally for like, you know, independent new up and coming bands. And now you can see anybody from like Lady Gaga to Miley Cyrus or whatever. But um, I do think that there's still a strong community of South by Southwest goers who are, yeah, mostly from the online community who are there solely for the music and who are there to, to meet people that they've been interacting with online via blogs, via Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And so, yeah, the portal show in a lot of ways is supposed to represent that. I think Especially this year, I saw a lot of commentary on South by being like, "Oh, this is this thing that everybody goes to every year, but like I'm so over it and corporate sponsors and Sixth Street and whatever." And it's like so easy to like to be grumpy and complain about that. Um, it's I think it's much more interesting to try to seek out the cool stuff that is still happening and the people at South by who are trying to you know, push up against the corporateness of South by, and there's plenty of entities and different communities who are doing that. And so, yeah, I, I hope that people came into the portal show and saw that, oh, okay, South by 
isn't as bad as it's as it seems to be based on what I've read online or whatever. Like I feel like a lot of the people who are cl- complaining about South by or like older folks who are kind of, you know, been in the industry for a bit too long and, you know, are just grumpy. And it's like, when I was, I came to South by, um, in 2011, I was 20 years old. So I was doing South by underage. I had just started my blog flashlight tag. I knew a few people from that community, but they were all still kind of like, you know, celebrities in my eyes, but that, that experience, Experience. I met so many people. I met so many musicians. It gave me the confidence to keep blogging. I became closer with those people that I had met online. And like, it's ultimately the reason why I'm still doing what I'm doing today. And so I just, yeah, I hope that young kids out there who are thinking about going to South by aren't discouraged by the older grumpy music fans. So sorry if that was long winded. <laughs> no, that was wonderful. That was great. And that kind of takes, I want to talk a bit about Portal's other live shows, but um, since you sure. were kind of talking about how the, uh, about flashlight tag and how you get, got more involved in the community. Um, can you talk sure. a bit about uh, the inception of portals and how it came together? Yeah. And how totally. they approached you. Yeah. So um, portals was launched at the beginning of 2012 um, and was kind of conceptualized at the tail end of 2011, um, I was in a community of several different bloggers, um, who were on several different platforms, but I'd say like primarily Tumblr was like the most popular at the moment. Um, and this was like beginning in 2010 and, uh, or even like 2009 for others, but I got my blog started in 2010, probably started reading blogs around 2008. Um, and yeah, I just sort of met all these people in this weird niche community who were writing about stuff that was primarily on Bandcamp or SoundCloud or being put out on small cassette labels or digital labels. And um, that community got really strong and close knit. And Jake Martin, who is the founder of Portals and used to run a blog called Speaker Snacks. Um, I guess took notice of that community and and saw what was happening and got this idea to start sort of a, a super site that would feature all these different blogs who had just come up and were kind of like-minded in their taste. Um, and so, yeah, towards the end of 2011, I got an email. Uh, and it was like a, a group email. I was in it with a bunch of different people and it was from Jake and it was just explaining this idea of this of this blog collective that would be called portals and we would post you know a couple of times a week and we do different features but we'd still be able to do our own blogs and it was kind of this loose idea but it it just felt so right at the moment because you know I had just uh dropped out of school I had kind of uh left the theater community and kind of got um to a point where I was just not really feeling that community and the music community was this new thing in my life. So once the idea of portals came, came to me, it just seemed so perfect. And so it was like, yeah, I, I definitely want to get involved. So, um, yeah, we, uh, started like this private Facebook group, which still exists today. That's like where we do all of our kind of dialogue about the schedule and, and other stuff and started hashing out ideas for what, for what this blog collective could be. And there were several people who were interested at first and some people stayed on, some people stayed on for a little bit and then left. Some people, uh, 
you know, got the invitation and politely declined. Um, but it ended up being about 16 of us at the time who all agreed to like to do this thing. And then, yeah, we launched in 2012 and just started putting up stuff. I mean, we were doing four or five posts a day. We started coming up with all sorts of different features and I'd say by the end of 2012 and the beginning of 2013, we got a pretty good focus on what features and what content in particular was working best. And then um, sort of slimmed things down a bit and slowed things down a bit. And now we've got um, about three or four features that we do on a regular basis. And then we do track posts and, and album reflections. Um, but it's all kind of, uh, at a much slower pace now and um we also have writers who are not affiliated with other blogs too like it originally started off as a blog collective and then slowly morphed into just this open sort of music community and publication so it's it's you know it's definitely like an online project but um pretty recently it's turned into an offline project as well and that's that's mostly because of our our live events and so, yeah, basically I, I, I started writing for the site and then I started talking to Jake Moore um, specifically about events and and South by and what we could potentially do with, with live events and just got really stoked on that. And so I, he basically uh, proposed that I stop writing for the site and focus full time on sort of the behind the scenes stuff, managing writers, coming up with uh, ideas for events, finding artists for features. And so since the beginning of 2013, I've been their creative director and yeah, I help Jake manage all the events. I manage all the feature content. I help him oversee writers um, and basically just any major creative decisions that we make for the site um, I'm involved in. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of where it started and where it is now, I guess. And um, like we've and so we talked about the port the uh, South by Southwest portals event. When you're putting together an event, you mentioned I read your interview with Nixon.com as part of my sure, preparation yeah. for this, and uh, one you mentioned the living spaces there, and I talked with uh, Tim a bit about your events mm -hmm. that you do. And so when you're trying when you're going to uh, when you're uh, trying to brainstorm or put together a live mm -hmm. portals event somewhere in the country. What are you looking for when you're looking to put together an event? And about, mm -hmm. I guess, how does that come together? Do you do most of the legwork or do, does anybody come to you proposing like, Hey, I think this would be a good place to do a portals show. What's the process on uh, making, to, making one of those shows happen? Totally. Yeah. So it's, um, it's primarily Jake and I who are doing the bulk of work for those events, but we definitely take, um, input from all the portal staff members um, in terms of like what artists might be good for a particular show or what locations might be good. Um, but generally it starts with Jake and I just being like, so yeah, we want to do a show in a cool sort of non-traditional environment. And I guess I'll start by explaining that Living Spaces is our um, traveling event series. It officially started last summer. The first show was in Brooklyn. We've done um, Brooklyn, Baltimore. We did New Year's Eve in Austin. And then we sort of mixed living spaces with our South by Southwest show this year. 
as an experiment. Um, but yeah, the concept behind Living Spaces is going into sort of non-traditional venues or uh, independent spaces and putting up a showcase with up and coming artists and making an effort to transform that space in some way with a large scale visual installation. Um, and so basically we start off by being like, where's a cool place to do a show? Uh, trying to think of cities and places where shows don't happen often um, is definitely something that we have as a priority. And then once we have the city or the town in mind, it is then about finding a space. Um, do we want to do something outside? Do we want to do something inside? Do we know anyone who runs DIY spaces in that particular city? Um, do we know anyone who has a cool house or anything like that? And once you have that in place, you kind of just start asking around um, from your network of artists, um, see who's available and see who wants to play. And you kind of just start slowly building it piece by piece. Um, it's interesting because I kind of uh, liken it to to the process of, of, of theater. Um, and I like, we were just kind of talking about this on Facebook chat, but yeah, I come from a theater background grew up doing theater and the way a play works or a musical works is, you know, you start off with uh, one or two people, you cast the show, you rehearse the show for months, you, you know, you find uh, a set for the show, a place to put up the show. And then, you know, you put it up and it, and it's only like a weekend or two that it runs, but you put in all that work just for a couple of performances. And yeah, it's sort of the same process where Jake and I are the directors. We, put together a cast or a lineup of, of, of artists, you know, we have, um, we have a stage or a set, which is our, our location or our venue. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty like, like simple, basic process that I think people have been doing forever for events. But I, I think what's different is that we won't settle for just a traditional venue. So we won't do a show just in a bar or in like a standard music venue. And that's where the challenge comes in is finding somewhere that is, that is non-traditional, but can also hold a, a music showcase. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, but for yeah. sure. For sure. And I mean, one of the things you've also mentioned is making, is for making portals events identifiable, like kind of giving them sure. a certain image and, so besides, is the, I assume that's part of the whole living, why you're doing a living spaces thing is to kind of create an identity for these portal shows. And what what other things do you put into it to, that you consider like a portal's vibe? What is the portal's aesthetic? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of hard to define. Uh, I think a big part of it is, yeah, we're featuring artists who are primarily releasing through non-traditional platforms like SoundCloud and Bandcamp and artists who are working in sort of more experimental communities of, of music making. Um, so, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to book artists who are maybe not on a tour or artists who have never played a show before, but have a couple of Bandcamp releases or, you know, just artists who you don't normally get to see in, in show spaces. Um, and so that's one of the things that is a part of the portals aesthetic. Um, 
I'd say another thing is the is the visual installation. We we bring on um, an installation artist to come into the space and do some sort of piece that transforms the space completely. So when the audience walks in, they're not just walking into, like I said, a venue with a bar and a stage. They're walking into something, you know, that's going to completely make them feel like they've escaped um, into this other world, um, which I guess sounds pretty like basic uh, on paper, but it's a big challenge to try to provide a space that is, you know, actually going to make the audience feel like they've broken away from their traditional nine to five or whatever their schedule is. Um, so a big part of the portal show is, is putting a focus on the audience. I think a lot of, I think the current climate for music showcase culture and festival culture is get as many big bands as possible, draw on a bunch of people and try to get them as drunk as possible, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. and a portal show there's alcohol. There are sometimes bands who are at more established levels, but we are always trying our best to make sure that the audience is having a real good personal time where they're engaging with other audience members that they may not know, where they have an opportunity to meet the artists. Um, at every single portal show, Jake and I are in the crowd talking to the artists, talking to the audience. Um, we try to make sure that people know who the presenters of the show are. Um, and so I think the, these are all things that go into the portal's aesthetic. They, you know, they are community, friendship, um, uh, intimate-based showcases um, that are trying to sort of respond to the general bar, festival, overcrowded corporate sponsor type of show that you normally go to. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess that's kind of what the overall portals aesthetic is for, for our showcases. And if that, if that makes sense. Oh, definitely. It's more bringing people together instead of pushing them more and more apart. And it's right. Right. It's, um, I mean the visual stuff, you can see that in the online work too, with the resonances with whether it's the watercolors, sure. the photography and all those things. Yeah. And yeah, that's um. Uh, I had another thought, but I completely lost it. But <laughs> yes, that very much answers uh, what I was what I was looking for, and like that, I totally. I hope I can go to more of those one day because I am very curious about the the visual installations you're talking about. It sounds like it it sounds pretty wonderful. I gotta say, but um, totally. I have a couple que I have a couple other questions from Kyle, who's usually also on this podcast, but he's on. Yeah. The He's on the other side of the world, so it makes it a little bit difficult. Um, <laughs> right. So part of it is a lot of focus of portals now is on the offline things and like enhancing mm -hmm. the community and doing these shows and all that. And so one mm -hmm. of the questions Kyle has, has is about uh, music blogging in 2015 because mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but you're several in years into your tenure at portals and mm -hmm. everything looks different. It changes exponentially just Every, music is more available than ever sure. but uh he says but everyone still seems centralized in the same sources for music especially on the uh the more mass levels on the high, on the on the higher levels the bigger mm -hmm. mainstream types of things he wants mm -hmm. to know do you think that's changing will it ever change how people as a whole get their music yeah i don't know i think um 
this is a big big conversation um I, I yeah so um there's a couple of different answers and a couple of different angles that you can look at it from i think that music blogs certainly um i think music blogs have gone through several different phases music blogs have been going since the early 2000s arguably the like the the late 90s if you want to count like pitchfork pitchfork started in 95 people people forget about this that's stuff. insane um yeah yeah so um that was one heyday of music blogging, you know, and then all those people sort of graduated to higher levels of either music criticism or, or music industry jobs or sites like Pitchfork became major music publications or conglomerates. Um, and uh, then you have a whole new phase of bloggers like Gorilla vs. Bear and Why Vinyl um, who were like, arguably like mid 2000s you know late 2000s blogs um and they inspired a whole new generation of blogs which i sort of came up in um my blog flashlight tag tim from smoke don't smoke um dave from stadiums and shrines uh jake who used to run speaker snacks um and so uh it, i think it's easy to kind of once you're once you're kind of in your your heyday or your golden age of blogging, it's so easy to be like, oh, blogging is is dead. And when I was blogging, you know, it was so different and everybody was so active. And um, blogs are certainly way different than they were when I first started blogging. But I still think there are young people who are out there who are blogging or who are doing it in different types of ways that are maybe just kind of. Uh, a little bit over our heads, you know, like it's, it's, there's, there's just a new generation of people who are thinking about music in new ways. And so, yeah, I think that people are still, I, I think there's always going to be niche, niche communities of young people who will discover music through things like music blogs or music criticism. But I do think there is a large majority who discovers their music. Um, or I don't even really want to call it discover because I don't think it, is quite discovering, but people who primarily use streaming apps, you know, your Spotify, your Ardios, your, your Pandoras. Uh, I think these are people who are casual listeners. Um, they don't, you know, they don't invest too much time into the actual discovery process of, 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 of music. And so, um, things like Pandora and, and Spotify totally work for them. And things like Spotify recommend are a totally valid way for somebody to find out about a new band. Um, me personally, I like my music discovery to be a little bit more hands-on and a little bit more personal. I like finding out about things, um, through reading about them in depth. Um, I like things being recommended to me by other people and not just an algorithm. You know, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I, I believe, though, that that's that I think that's always going to exist, exist. I think that might. That community might be getting smaller and smaller as streaming services become more and more popular and more and more accessible. Um, and to that, I kind of shrug. I don't know what to do or what to say about that. You know, I all I can hope is that portals remains a source for music discovery and remains a part of the conversation when it comes to music writing and um yeah there's all i i'm i've also kind of been noticing a whole new world of um 
music advocates who are not necessarily blogging or some of them do have blogs but it's not like their main form but they're they're on twitter and they're like yeah. very active on twitter i don't know if you know any of these people like do you know Athelia from um she's from boston or do you know Raphael? he runs this blog called heart and soul yes yeah I don't, um, i'm not familiar with Athelia, but Raphael, okay. i follow i've been following for okay. a while <laughs> Yeah, Raphael's pretty popular in that scene. There's another guy named John Alman who runs a blog called Cassette Rewind. Mm-hmm. Um, these are a group of kids, and there's there's more of them, but this, these are a group of kids who are 18 to, you know, 22 years old, and they have blogs, but they're also all on Twitter, and they have lots of funny commentary on DIY music and DIY music culture, and they share music through Twitter and some of them have tape labels and I don't know, it's a whole new community of, of music fans uh, who are still very excited about discovering music, but they aren't discovering it in the same way that we were four or five years ago. And I honestly think that's okay. And I hope that the rules consistently, I hope there are no rules. I I think that everything is just changing and that's, that's totally fine. Um, So yeah, I don't know. And I mean that's something I always kind of struggle with, and the the ever evolving ways that we're sharing music, whether it's like in a more mm-hmm. ephemeral way, like or more shorthand way, like Twitter, or if we're trying to stay up with the long form things, like with portal portals or the media or some other things they're doing. But sure. um, just the struggle to keep up with like the conversation. I mean, the problem is that there are so many conversations. But right. do you feel like? It's so it it can be so difficult to keep up with the convers like what's happening and there are so many different ways to do it and whether you even sh- should or need to like how do you approach that with just wanting to keep up with everything that's happening and knowing you can't keep For up sure. with everything. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd say that like it definitely depends on like uh your interest level. Um. I'd say for, for, yeah, for casual listeners or people who are even a little bit more invested in, in their music listening, but aren't necessarily like reading album reviews. Um, I think if they want to stay out of the conversation and not really keep up with the day-to-day music, Twitter, you know, ramblings, that's totally fine. But um, I think if you're working in music and if you work for a publication or if you work for a record label or you do PR um, I think it's somewhat important to stay up on some of the conversations that are happening on on Twitter or Facebook or Tumblr um, amongst people who work in music, because I think it's just good to be aware of what people are thinking and feeling about the stuff that we are so passionate about, um, which is music. And so... Um, for me, I'm deeply interested in this stuff. Everything from like record labels and PR and PR campaigns and that whole world and how that works to music journalism and criticism. Um, and I'm also into blogging and and discovery platforms like SoundCloud and just like overall, like digging for music online. I'm super interested in in all these different cultures. And so for me, yeah, it can be overwhelming, but um, I like it so much, or at least, you know, I haven't gotten, haven't gotten sick of it yet that like, I'm still, I still get, you know, giddy about, you know, 
when a new song hits and everybody's really excited about it and everybody's talking about it on Twitter or I don't know, I like definitely follow music critics um, in like a very serious way. I follow them as writers. I have, I have critics of mine that are my favorites that I, I read all the reviews or anything that they touch and I follow them on Twitter and I follow their conversations with other critics and people that I think have intelligent thoughts on music. And for me, I learn a lot from that. Like I'm learning from the conversation and I'm learning from the dialogue that's happening online, or at least I'm trying to find the dialogue that I'm going to learn the most from. I do think there's probably a lot of dialogue that's happening on Twitter about music that is kind of vapid and maybe a little bit superficial or a little bit like kind of like inside baseball or just kind of like schmooze and boozy. But I do think there's a lot of really good intellectual conversation that's happening on places like Twitter or Tumblr or, or Facebook or whatever amongst different different people who work in music and, and I learn from that stuff and I learn from those people. And so, um, yeah, overall, I think it's important to keep up with that stuff. If you want to continue to, to work in music or, or participate in music culture. Um, yeah. Twitter's so. Twitter's kind of amazing in that way because I follow so I've, I've almost like axed out everything else I follow just so mm-hmm. I can keep up with all the mu- the people who write about music in these things. And you can right. all, you almost learn more than you would from any long-form piece just in the sure. conversations that different writers are having because it allows for a back and forth and for like kind of anybody to pop in and join the conversation and to bring a different viewpoint or different knowledge to it. Like totally, you, totally. From like a string of just like 20 tweets, you can get so much information in just that little – and that little packaging and i guess um tumblr kind of used to be that for me and it probably still is i just am not Mm -hmm. as active on tumblr as i used to be but twitter is kind of this amazing just constantly updating thing like you were talking about Raphael and the others with their right with like how that is a big way of finding music now it's just it's really impressive and it makes uh everything seem so much smaller and more intimate because everybody's interacting with each other like your favorite writers on the biggest publications, they're talking to people on Twitter and having conversations about music, but there are also so many people that it seems so much bigger at the same time. It totally, it like flattens everything out almost, I suppose. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Like, I mean, it levels things out for sure. And, um, like you were saying, like anybody can chime in. Uh, so if it's a conversation between like a New York times critic and a, and a pitchfork writer, you have the ability to to add to that conversation or give your viewpoint, whether they respond, you know, whether they respond or not. Sometimes they do, um, depending on what your what your contribution to that to that thread is. But yeah, it's just cool that you are able to kind of put your two cents in if you see a conversation that's happening that you think you might have something worth contributing to. Um, it's it's cool to to be able to do that. Um, and yeah, I do. I miss that that sort of conversation happening on Tumblr. I still follow like a bunch of writers and critics on Tumblr who are, who do use Tumblr to kind of, um, you know, you know, cause they're oftentimes like professional writers who are writing for bigger publications and stuff. And so Tumblr is a place to kind of do their just free, no pressure, no deadlines kind of writing. And there's a lot of people that I follow on Tumblr who are writing great things about music. Um, but I, I do, I do miss, 
you know, what I'll call the golden age of Tumblr blogging, <laughs> you know, 2K8 to 2K11 when when there was just so many different blogs and when Bandcamp and SoundCloud were still brand new. Mm-hmm. Like, people forget that, like, there was a time where people like Drake and pop stars didn't have a SoundCloud, right? Like, it was still this open thing that was mostly being used by independent musicians and, and people who were internet savvy. And so... You know, I am nostalgic for that time when we were blogging about all this stuff that was really, really fresh and really, um, there, there, there wasn't a lot of it. There was, there was only so many people who were using platforms like Bandcamp and SoundCloud back in like 2009, 2010. Um, and now because SoundCloud and Bandcamp are the main places for musicians to put their music up online, um, at least to be able to stream or whatever, um, there's there's not a lot of context, you know? Like, it used to be, at least for me, when I would scroll through Bandcamp, like, you could find different types of communities and different genres, and you could get some context for all of it. Whereas, like, now, there's, like, a fucking million bands on SoundCloud. <laughs> it's, like, and, and it's everyone from, like, small DIY bands to Drake and Rihanna and whatever. And I love pop music and all that. And it's great. I'm not like mad at those people who are using SoundCloud, but no. it, it makes it a little bit more of a shit show in terms of getting context for, for these artists and for these communities. And so I do, I do miss that. There was, there was a time where that was where the Tumblr community, at least for writing about like Bandcamp and SoundCloud based music was really, really active. And maybe there are still, that's my belief is that there are still kids out there who are on Tumblr writing about this stuff. Um, we've just been in the game for quite a bit, you know, we've, we've moved on. So it's, it kind of makes me think like the leveling out we mentioned with the conversation, it's kind of happened with different music and communities and everything too. Just mm-hmm. everything you can like what I used to think of as like the biggest publications in the world, like whether it be like right. Rolling Stone or Grantland, I spent a lot of time on or stuff like that. Like sure. suddenly they'll be talking about like not even like Speedy or T's, like someone even like smaller than that. And they'll be referencing right. portals or someone like that. And I'm just like, whoa, this is. Yeah. Well, that was first when I first started noticing that it blew my mind because I was like, I thought sure. this was the little thing on this side and this was the big thing on that side. But like right. everything's kind of come together and there are like positive aspects of that. But also there is something lost in that, I suppose. Sure, and, sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, things have definitely um, – like I think there are a lot of smaller publications and smaller labels and whatnot who have been going since like 2009, 2010 who are now just starting to get their their respect and their – their their visibility hmm. um i think like orchid tapes is a good example um i've known do you know do you know orchid tapes the, the label oh i love orchid tapes okay you yeah, have yeah big boosters sure. of their work <laughs> totally totally so yeah i've uh, uh i've been friends with warren for quite a bit um he was actually one of the first people i met in like the online music community and i remember in 2010 when he was like yeah you know i'm just gonna start this little label called orchid tapes and like started putting out stuff and like everybody who was in that small niche community was a huge fan of it from the get go. And it became a staple in our community, but it was only until like last year and like, granted it was like the Ricky Dasser release and things like that kind of like help push it into the, to the more mainstream eye, I guess. But, uh, it's just interesting to see that only in the last year, uh, 
did some of the bigger publications like Fader and Pitchfork and others start really paying attention to what they were doing. Um, and that always blows my mind, you know, because it's just kind of like, yo, we've been celebrating this label and this community for, for the past like four or five years now. And you're you're just <laughs> deciding to pay attention. But it, it, it hits a point where it, it just, you know, sometimes things in the underground are way too good to stay in the underground for that long, you know. And so they eventually will tip and um, you start to see that, yeah, some of the bigger players in, in music journalism um and just like the music industry in general will start to take notice and it, um it's a great thing too it's just kind of it, yeah. it, it could be kind of jarred to see like oh hey drake's new song is pretty hot and this foxes and fiction song just as good <laughs> right yeah exactly exactly <laughs> but or like mcconan like i love mcconan another like i interviewed mcconan in 2012 for portals i um like knew him back in the day, mostly through, uh, through Eric at Phantom Posse. Um, and you know, like for two or three years, the DIY music community was already stoked on this dude, McConan, who was like, I was calling him like the little B of the DIY world, you know, like he was like this new weirdo character who was making like Daniel Johnston style, uh, like songs that were like played on the piano and sometimes had guitar and like sometimes he would rap but like he wasn't a rapper necessarily but yeah. now he's like one of the biggest artists that have you know kind of come onto the scene in the last year or two and is co-signed by drake and there's a lot of people who um like at the portal show he he made a surprise appearance and there are a lot of people who were like is that a McConan lookalike is that like somebody impersonating him like they couldn't believe that he was at this you know you know more diy sort of independent event and giving you a very loving shout out too totally yeah that was very that was very nice to hear from him it's it's so great too that he got to that level and still uh supports what we're doing and still takes notice of what we're doing and like would would come out to play a little guest spot like that it's it's very humbling um but yeah it's just so interesting to me to see people's reactions and people are just how the independent world of music and the more mainstream world of music, those lines are blurring mm -hmm. more and more every day. And it's very interesting to see how people are, are taking that, you know, some people are very, very shocked by it. And I think for people like us who have been doing this for quite a bit and have sort of seen, you know, the rise and fall of different artists or whatever, um, it's not as surprising. It feels normal now for an artist to be on a band camp page one day with a couple of songs. And then six months later, you know, best new music on pitchfork and headlining tour, you know, like it happens all the time now for, for bands that we write about and, and interact with. So yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating the way it just to see like, the shocking or not the shocking the uh like the skyrocketing rise of some artists and like suddenly they'll just like with conan they'll just be plucked out of semi mainstream obscurity by drake and blow up right. and like that these things can happen is so cool and it's only gonna get even crazier totally. like you can't even fathom how it's gonna change because right. that's exactly. kind of the point <laughs> yeah exactly yeah all right. Well, we've got kind of long, so I won't don't take want to take you up uh, much longer. But um, I guess maybe yeah, 
<laughs> oh, it's been a great conversation. I would love to keep going forever, but um, for sure, totally. But um, I guess we'll just finish up with. I mean, I guess a pretty standard question. Like, what is uh, what you got? What do you have planned in the future? You guys got? I know you're doing something for CMJ, probably. I don't know if you have, if you have other things in the meantime you'd like to talk about. I guess this is the totally. part where most po- podcasts like, hey, promote your stuff, plug your stuff. What do you right. got going on? Totally. Um. Yeah, we will definitely be at CMJ again. Um. It'll be we do a CMJ show every year with uh, Dave Sutton from Stadiums and Shrines, who also works for Hype Machine. Um. Last year we did our show in a church, <laughs> so we're probably going to go back to the church this year for CMJ. Um. And we have another Living Spaces show that's coming up. I can't give out any specific details because we haven't we haven't announced it yet. Okay. Um, but it will be happening in July. And um, all I'll say is that it's going to be like our most ambitious Living Spaces show yet. Um, so I'm really stoked to, to get the word out on that. We'll probably be announcing it. Um, towards the end of this month or beginning of June. So, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it right now. There's some other things in store that are just kind of like on the back burner right now with portals. Um, we're going to do a bunch of different things coming forward. I just can't, yeah, it's, it's, no, it's just, hard to, to we'll, get it all out right now. Yeah, we'll keep we'll be on the lookout. There's always good stuff going on portals, residencies. There's like Eskimos got a residency going on right now. Yeah, just totally always good stuff going on. And thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, man. Yeah, we look forward to talking. I in really the future. appreciate all your support. Oh. Totally, totally. <laughs> all right, I guess uh, take it easy. I don't know how to cool. end this, but <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. All right. Peace.